This is the Coach's Wife Life Podcast, where Kristen Urgel, a longtime TV sports reporter and college football coach's wife, goes one-on-one with her fellow coaches' wives. We will uncover the stories of the strong women who are the backbone of college athletics and athletics of all levels. And now, Coach's Wife Life. Welcome to Coach's Wife Life. I'm not the normal voice you're used to hearing. I'm Coach Joshua Urgel. I'm Kristen's husband. And this week, we're going to go one-on-one with the host of Coach's Wife Life. Kristen Urgel gets to answer a lot of these questions that you've heard asked from many of her awesome guests that have been so gracious to come on her podcast and, and share with all of us and, and teach us and lead us and try to offer us wisdom. And I thought it was important that we go one-on-one with Kristen and find out what makes her tick and why she's started this unbelievable podcast to minister to so many of you women and coaches' wives out there. All right, so let's get this thing cranked up. Okay. All right, tell them. Uh, a little bit about our journey, real briefly, where we are now, how we got here, in short. Okay, seven states in 17 years of marriage. We are at the University of Kansas, and maybe just a few short weeks away, we will be ready to kick off this football season. I'm pretty pumped about it. Well, before we get into what shaped you and both of us, why don't you share how we met? Okay, so I was in a journalism school at the University of Memphis. We will leave the year out. But I was in a media writing class, And I was doing a paper that I got to choose. And so the title of the paper was, How Has College Football Affected Your Life? And so I was going to interview a current football player, a current coach, and then a former player. And I met your roommate at an event. And so I called um, to get an interview for um, him at the time. And you happened to answer the phone. And uh, impeccable, Tommy. Yes, and I really enjoyed your voice. You have quite the voice, and so it caught my attention. And I said, "Well, hey, are you a football player?" And you said, "Yes." And uh, we had a phenomenal interview. I never forget your answers to your questions. And so then we talked on the phone for a few weeks, as you might remember. And then we ended up meeting at my church and uh, dated for. Two years, got married, and we've been together for, married for 17 years. We have three children now. Our daughter, Courtney, is eight, Landry is six, and Stallings is three. Our life took a huge turn in 2012. We had a daughter who was 15 months old, Courtney, and our daughter, Landry, um, was supposed to be born in October. And about that spring, uh, when she was 11, I was 11 weeks along with her, they told me that something was going to be significantly wrong. I didn't know exactly what that would be. Mm-hmm. And each week, or every doctor's appointment, which was every two or three weeks, it would be a guessing game as to what Landry would have. By 18 yeah. weeks, they realized that Landry would have a congenital heart defect and that she would need surgery to be able to survive. She needed open heart surgery. Um, and at that point, they didn't know specifically if it was caused by genetics or not. And so they would just throw things out there. And so there was this weight. I remember just this weight um, falling on my shoulders at that point. And um, for us, we relied a lot on our faith. Um, and that was the only way out. And so Landry was born September 7th of 2012 with a fight on her hands. And at that point they thought it was just a cardiac defect. But then later as we found out, it was so much more. Um, I didn't get to hold Landry for the first 10 days of her life. She was put on a ventilator and in the NICU and she lived um, in the NICU 
just battling and she was basically, I'm guessing the correct term was just going into cardiac arrest. Um, and they had to definitely line up surgery. And so they moved her to children's hospital. We were living in Texas at this time. And, um, she had open heart surgery, October 29th of 2012. And she coded four times in the nine days post-op. I'll never forget some of those moments and they've shaped who I am today and how I'll respond to pretty much everything from this point on. She lived two and a half months in the hospital and she was finally strong enough after that point to be discharged. She was discharged right before Thanksgiving. I remember going in the hospital and it was summertime. I had a tan and we were leaving the hospital and it was decorated for Christmas. She came home on a uh, life-saving medication and multiple other medications that I administered every four hours and oxygen. And she would constantly, the oxygen would be messed up or she would be, uh, if she cried within a few seconds, she would turn blue. And it, I felt like I was saving Landry's life constantly. Um, she never went more than 12 weeks straight of being healthy and not going critical outside of the hospital for the first four years of her life. Most of the time it was anywhere from the four to eight week range. And um, so she's six now. She's doing pretty good. It felt like we were always chasing the next battle. And about a year ago, um, they determined exactly what Landry has. She has a rare gene mutation of the CSNK2B gene and she's intellectually disabled. She has severe epilepsy, which is seizures. She doesn't have that congenital heart defect, and she has a compromised immune system. She's immune deficient. She's kind of like her blood counts can be like a cancer patient um, in the middle of battle uh, with chemo, basically, those type of counts uh, for life, and there's no cure for what Landry has, and um, so every day with her is a blessing, a gift, but also a challenge. And she's very much changed who we are. Yeah, our little warrior. She absolutely is. There's no doubt about that Landry is here because of God's grace and that she has a purpose and a calling on her life, even though she's a nonverbal little girl right now. Uh, God's got a plan for her, but she would not be here if it wasn't for a loving and caring mother like yourself either. Make me cry. <laughs> I'm trying to move on. <laughs> Your background has been in journalism. Uh, you were a TV sports reporter and anchor, starting at Fox 8 in New Orleans, the ABC affiliate in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and launching a morning show on the ABC affiliate in Tyre, Texas, as a sole anchor for Good Morning East Texas Weekend. Your newscast took the ratings in your time slot for the first time in the station's 50 plus year history, the fastest selling spot in that station. But the call of family due to Landry's severity had you to have walk away. When did you know you wanted to do sports reporting and how hard was it for you to walk away? I remember exactly where I was when I knew I wanted to be a sports reporter. You know, I think there's some people that are born just knowing exactly what they were put on this planet to do. Part of that for me was wanting to do sports journalism, sports reporting. And I remember it being Alabama-Auburn weekend, and my family um, is from Alabama. And we had the game on, and most of the time, you know, when the game's on, you're paying attention to the game. And most of the time, around halftime, everyone's eating. And I mean, it was the time that that game was on during, during Thanksgiving Day. 
And there was a story told by Julie Moran. She was a sports reporter at that time for ABC. And she told a story about an Alabama football player who had graduated, played for Bear Bryant, Coach Bryant, and had uh, built, a, I think, a boys camp and done something very powerful uh, with his life. And usually we're just talking in the room and no one's paying attention unless the ball's being kicked off. But everyone stopped and they were completely captured by her story. And my family was crying, grandparents, aunts, uncles. I remember everyone being just mesmerized. And I knew right then, that's what I wanted to do. I want to tell people stories, move them and help, you know, shape who they are and impact them in a positive way by sharing with the world what people were doing and, and what people were doing for the good and how people were changing the world one person at a time. And that dream just grew and grew and grew. And I remember just tough times or happy times, I would close my eyes and just dream and just think about it. What would it be like to be on the sideline during a college football game? Or what would it be like to share someone's story that has never been told before or the way in which it was told before? Just how someone could be inspired, how someone could change and just how people touch people. And so that grew into college. And um, I remember that getting into it was pretty difficult. Um, you made a deal with me when we were in college. Hey, if you give me four years, then you in turn can really, I'll help launch your career. And so the first four years after we were married, I had a journalism degree, but I didn't get to go into journalism at all. And I worked my way up and did, um, I worked for a cell phone company and, um, and had some things I really enjoyed about it, but it became time for me to be able to chase that dream and we could financially be able to let me start off and make absolutely nothing. And so at the, in my mid twenties, I was able to do that. I think the combination of dreaming for so long, then having to wait and watch somebody else's career for four years to be able to start it and then getting it going. Um, the hardest part was going, okay, we're going to pause to have children. But then I just kind of assumed I would be able to sort of go back into it. And with Landry's, and I did, with Landry's severity, I went back into morning show anchoring, um, like you mentioned, and absolutely loved it. I loved doing what I did. I got to share stories. I got to anchor a newscast. Um, but Landry, I remember being on a newscast at four o'clock. I was filling in for somebody else. It was one of the times that Landry was fighting for her life. She was uh, septic. She had a strep infection in her bloodstream and she was impatient for 10 straight days on IVs and um, antibiotics and all that. And so I had to hire, I remember that day for the four o'clock newscast, I had to hire someone to watch Courtney, our two and a half year old at that time. And I actually had to hire someone to be in the hospital with Landry because you can't leave your child alone in the hospital. <laughs> and I thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? I've just hired someone who does that, you know? And I thought, I can't do that. I can't be a person that just it was just too hard. And it was that day that I went, okay, I'm going to have to lay this down. I'm going to have to do what's right for my family and for my children. And, uh, it was hard. It, I, I wish I could say, you know, I wish I could say, no, it wasn't hard. And, and, but it was. And if, I think if you're a really competitive person, you're a driven person, you're passionate, then it can be hard to walk away from something like that. And I did. I had to, you know, work my way out of the contract. And 
um, I don't regret it at all, but it wasn't easy. And I think a lot of coaches' wives go through that. I think I identify with a lot of the women that I interview because whether it not be something that dramatic, a lot of us have had to relocate um, with our husband's jobs. And sometimes it doesn't really feel fair when it's us having, okay, we've made a decision to, to go with his career. And sometimes it doesn't really feel fair that, okay, well, I'm having to give this up, or this has been something I worked really hard for, or this has been something that I really jived with this group they're working with, or whatever it may, whatever it may be. It's really hard. It's been something that um, I've been grateful to be able to do it in a lot of different capacities. And that when I have been, for me, it's, it's about my faith and saying, okay, God, um, you know, this is a gift and this is a passion that you put in my heart for whatever time that I'm able to do it for you. And if I have to walk away and this is what I'm supposed to do and I feel like I'm following you, then, then you'll give it back and you'll allow an opportunity and you'll open a door that I can open. And that's happened multiple times in my career where I've been a stay-at-home mom and all of a sudden an ESPN game plan game pops up and they go, Kristen, we don't have a sideline reporter. And I think, oh my goodness, uh, that's happened before where it's, you think that it's completely over and they called a stay-at-home mom to do sideline reporting for a Southland Conference game. And then I got to do it when we were at our prior university. So yeah. it's very special um, when those opportunities come back. It makes you very, very grateful. Well, this is the part of the podcast where I don't feel so great about myself or my profession. <laughs> well, there's no doubt. I'm, I'm obviously, admittedly, I think that um, all that training, I don't, I don't believe God wastes time. I don't believe God wastes experiences. And I believe that all that training is going and being used by him even today. So that leads me to this podcast. So how and why did you start Coach's Wife Life? About this time last year, we were driving to go see my family. And you, we were having, all the kids were asleep. And you looked at me. And you asked me a question that kind of stuck with me. And it's questions that we've asked each other before multiple times. But you said something to the effect of, what do you want to accomplish? And you have to understand the scope, if you know our story at all, you have to understand where, what we had been through at that point. Um, Landry was about to turn six years old um, in about 15 hospitalizations to that point, financially absolutely drained, um, exhausted. And we had a new diagnosis um, that was given to us a couple of months before that, that we hadn't gone public with. And I said, I never want anyone to be in the position that we are in right now. I would love to have some way to be able to give to families like ourselves who are fighting, uh, whose children are fighting every single day, who are critically and chronically ill, and to ease some of the financial burden, to be there as some sort of support, and to be able to fund research for this rare disease that we've just talked about. And so we talk about whenever we do those types of things, okay, what talents do we have or what gifts has God given us to be able to somehow drive to that? And I said, well, we talk about journalism. So we talked about journalism. I thought, well, in what ways could we drive towards that? And you said, what about a podcast? And I said, what's a podcast? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what a podcast was. This is last July. I said, what's a podcast? And you're like, you know, it's kind of like a radio show. It's like an app on your phone. You don't know the Alice Lee's podcast? I said, 
no, I thought you were just like listening to the radio. And so you handed me your phone and you showed me like the purple, we have, we have iPhones, a purple icon that says podcast and you like, let me hear part of it. And I go, so how does that work? It's just, you just go like <laughs> click on it. And then it is there, like, what you just go old shows, new shows. How do you know if a new one's coming up? I mean, I'd never seen it before. I mean, I've heard of a podcast, but I just didn't know what it was. I've heard people mention the word. That's many hours on the road recruiting young men. That's what that <laughs> is. That's, that's hey, finding podcast to pass it. Um, that's it. And so I started doing research on what is it? How do you start one? Um, how would you do all of this? And so that uh, was a little more in depth than I thought it would ever be. It's still a lot more time consuming than I ever dreamed it would be, but it's a lot more rewarding as well. Um, a lot of the editing. Um, and what's interesting is this kind of is taking almost everything that I had learned in journalism in one spot. And so the editing piece, I go back to when I was trying to make it at Foxhead in New Orleans and I took a job um, as an editor so that I could pay, help pay little bills and then volunteer in the sports reporting side of things and just shadow reporters. But I learned the editing side very, very well and because I was a news editor and I would memorize the tone in their voice and the anchoring. I became a really good editor. And it's a skill now that I use every time I edit one of these podcasts. So it's neat wow. how God brings all these things together for you. But um, so what, how does this all come together? So the podcast, it drives into something that we have just recently started, which is Ruler of Hope. Yeah, Ruler of Hope's our nonprofit corporation. Um, it's a 501c3. Uh, we launched it this past March. That's right. We were in March. Um, we were at the Maxwell Awards. Mm -hmm. You were being awarded the Rare Disease Champion Award that was presented by Uplifting Athletes, another organization that does tremendous work in sure rare do. disease. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my entire goal has been to encourage, encourage families facing unbelievable odds, forever pain, watching their child suffer, the you know, the burden of the finances, which we still understand. I also want to encourage fellow wives, fellow coaches' wives in all of this. This is a hard, hard profession. You know, you move a lot. You don't get to raise your children around family or friends. You change physicians. And sometimes if you have a medically fragile child, you have tons of physicians and a lot of coordinated care. You change schools. You know, your daily life is unpredictable. Your future, it, it feels unstable. And a, a difference, I think, in this whole industry is that everything is so public. There's a lot of people that move around for jobs. There's a lot of people that um, have some uncertainty in jobs. But a lot of times those jobs aren't public. And I think this is where um, it's one of the few, I think, that has that trifecta. So I, I thought about how do I reach them? You know, how do I tell them you're not alone? You know, where have I found strength? It's buckling deep down and, and finding forgiveness in Jesus Christ and that steady hope and what he has to offer. And, you know, and sometimes he uses women in my life to hold me up on those days that I feel like I just can't go on. And that's Coach's Wife Life, a podcast you can turn on at any point where we are encouraged by hearing other stories. There are stories of triumph. There are stories of just hearing other people don't possess superpowers, you know, that they, they feel weak 
and that they think it's hard. There's validation in that for me that, yeah. that somebody else across the country is feeling the exact same thing. Hey, they're raising their kids far away or they have a, a critically ill child or, or someone got fired or, you know, we face those things. And so how does that all tie together? Basically, it all comes to this. It was all started for this. I'm trying to attract advertisers who believe in what we're doing to build a steady stream of income that I can personally pour into Ruler of Hope. So just by sitting in your living room, folding laundry or going on a walk, you know, in a commute to work or in pickup line like me, you can be pouring money into helping critically, chronically ill children and funding research for rare disease. So my goal is to coach's wife life, be able to pour into Ruler of Hope. Yeah, that'd be great. I think that, uh, I think it's an unbelievable. I think that uh, off a, a little conversation, it's amazing how you have taken it and you've run with it. And it's become an unbelievable vision where you're connecting an entire group of people who were once felt like they were going through uh, circumstances or difficulties or adversities all by themselves. And um, I, I believe just based on some of the feedback that you've you've shared with me that uh, many of these wives will reach out to you and just say, thank you. And I think it's awesome for what you're doing. And that leads into one of the questions that um, you, you ask a lot of your guests. It's, I think it's one of the toughest questions you ask because it requires your guests to really become vulnerable and, and really speak as to what they're going through and um, really put to voice. But I think it really lets you into what some of you know, what coaches wives and coaches families go through. What do you think has been the toughest adversity um, that you and I have faced and what do you rely on to get you through those moments? CVICU 2012. I remember we're in the middle of football season and at that point we are a couple of months in to this long initial battle. She hadn't gone home yet. She's about nine weeks old or maybe eight weeks old at this point. She had open heart surgery and she had coded twice at this point. And she was actually in the middle of about to code for the third out of four times. And I remember sitting in the CVICU. And if you've ever been to a children's hospital, there's, there's a couple of floors, I think, that are really, really tough to go on. And one of them is the cardiovascular intensive care unit. And I believe at that time there were 36 rooms. And they're kind of open uh, with glass doors and they slide open. And the, the alarms just don't stop ringing critical. And those babies are about to go into surgery and or coming right out of surgery. And that's just the hardest, one of the hardest floors in the whole hospital. And I remember being there all alone. Um, we have the, the hardest thing, I think, with our situation was that you were in Oklahoma and you're a couple hours away and I was in Dallas, Texas, and we had a 16 month old at that point. Yeah. And our family had to, uh, they came in, but they had to just take Courtney back to my hometown in Memphis, Tennessee. So my daughter was in Tennessee, my husband's in Oklahoma and I'm in Texas and I'm all alone because after a while, um, you know, Landry's just too sick for anything. She's too sick for visitors. Uh, there's not a whole lot of people that can drive several hours in and just hang out. People have to go to work. 
and you have to give people the grace to actually live their life and, and not be upset by those things. But I remember being alone and, um, she had rough times and then somehow she got pneumonia on top of all that right after surgery. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to sing to her and talk to her. And I noticed this gagging, um, that she's doing. And I asked the nurse, I said, what's going on? And she said, I said, what is, what face is that? What is she doing? And she said, um, she's crying, but you couldn't hear her cry because if you have a ventilator down, you can't, you can't hear anything that's going on. And she was crying because she was in so much pain that even the painkillers couldn't help her. And I noticed after a while that, um, that my voice was the only voice that she would recognize. She could block out the nurses and the doctors that would come in and come out. But if I would sing to her, I would talk to her. She would wake up because she would want to talk to me. She wanted to see me. She couldn't talk at that point. She's just a baby, but she wanted to just be with me. And of course, at that point, I'd gone days without being able to hold her and I couldn't hold her because she just came out of surgery. And as a mother, you just want to hold your baby. And you just want to hold her close and you want to kiss her. And I'm in full PPE is what they call it, personal protection. And they have me, I'm in plastic, covered in plastic. And I would sit by her bedside and I realized at that point that my daughter was too sick to hold and too sick to talk to. At that point, I had to sit there in just silence for hours and pray silently over. And the only way I just remember going, okay, God, I'm, I'm alone. How did that, why am I alone? Right. And there's times that you just had to be at work and you just had to accomplish that. And I get that, but it made me draw closer to God and know that he is there in my darkest he is there when I don't feel him and he will work it to our good. And he, and he cares. He cares when we cry. He cares when we, every single detail of our life, he cares. And he carried me that day. And some days would be so hard taking care of her. I thought, well, I can't make it all day long. Can I make it to three o'clock? And I used to have this little goal. Can I make it to three o'clock? And I thought, hey, it's three o'clock. I can make it. I can make it the rest of the day. I'm doing okay. And he would give me the strength because it was, it was kind of like right then I had to, I'm the type of personality that I'm going to talk to every single nurse that comes in and I'm just going to, mm-hmm. you know, just try to connect with everybody. It, it's just, but I needed to be silent. I needed him and to know that, he was the only one that's going to get me out of those situations and many that followed past that. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember um, when they wheeled Landry out, I didn't, the first thing is you didn't, you never would imagine the amount of tubes that could come out of a little bitty baby that small. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Those beds, um, those rooms and critical, critical floor, never empty ever. Mm-hmm. They were never empty the entire time we were there. And, um, it, it is those times when you have to be quiet, it's eerie because all you're hearing is bells and whistles going off and you can almost, you can almost be quiet now and close your eyes and hear that beeping mm-hmm. in Landry's room. And, um, 
man, tough, tough times um, for our family. How has, how is all that, how's the past six years, how's that experience you just described to your listeners, how's that changed you? It's changed me drastically. I needed a change. There were so many things in me that needed to be worked on. And I wouldn't wish this on anyone. And you don't want anybody to have to endure what we have and many families have to go through. But I'm grateful for where I am and where I want to be and what I want to change. But I think that for her battle, it wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't one surgery. Um, She kept getting sick and the origin was unknown over and over and she would get critically ill from a cold. And for years, it was just, it felt like we were just chasing down one thing. And when, when I would get something kind of stable and I would figure it out, something else just felt like the house would set on fire. It was just something else would pop up. And I'm like, what, what is this? Where did this come from? Why does she have seizures now? Is it a reaction to a drug? Was she going to be this way? I mean, just everything was just, it felt insurmountable. And it, felt like it was never going to change. And how am I going to do this today? And how am I going to do this when I'm 60? And there's days where I'm like, there's no way. And then you, we would move or we would have to have a whole new situation. And for me, what our motto as a family, what we grabbed a hold of was choose joy today. Yeah. Choose joy today. Choose joy today. And there's a song that I'm really into right now. And part of the song, it says, I'm going to raise a hallelujah. And part of it says, louder than the unbelief. And for me, I can get a lot of fear and a lot of doubt and a lot of unbelief about a lot of different situations in my life. But if I get my heart right, and to, and to get my mind right. It's the battle of the mind. I'm going, am I going to choose to believe what's good about this and what God has done in my life and what provisions he has made in my life instead of focusing on what I think God hasn't done? And so for me, it is a conscious effort to choose to believe the good and to believe he has a plan even when I don't see him working. And we have seen um, dramatic miracles in our life. And I think we have some that will come. But Choose Joy Today has been something that has inspired me and convicted me all at the same time. Yeah, something you and I talk about a lot and quite frequently. But uh, how has all these experiences, how has what uh, our family personally has walked through, how does that enable you to see others going through challenges differently? I'm going to be very open and honest right now because a lot of the coaches wives that I've interviewed um, have just poured their hearts out and I'm, I'm in tears right now because I want you to believe that I'm perfect all the time and that, wow, I just believe this all the time. But there was a season that I was going into when she was, I don't know exactly how old she was, two or three. And my every day was hard and I try not to talk about it on social media. I'm trying not to, talk about it anywhere else because I don't want it to impact anything else we're trying to accomplish. Probably, probably my pride is involved in hiding some of the things that we battle, but what, um, but inside 
I was jealous. Inside, I was jealous of people who didn't have sick children or could just go out. There was a whole year where Landry couldn't go in public. And so I felt like, oh, you know, she's, my other child is, how is she ever going to have a child over this one, you know? And so now Landry can go in public. But there were sections of time where I felt like, gosh, this isn't fair to Landry to have a life like this. This isn't fair to me and, and then to you. Right. And so you start feeling jealous. And I remember uh, we went um, back to the University of Memphis and we met up with some friends, um, Jason and Danielle Austin. Yeah. Remember that weekend? Yeah. And we just toured some of the facilities. We were at home for one weekend and have a, had a really great time with their son, Jackson, who had never gotten to go see you then. And he battled through cancer and is healthy now. Mm-hmm. And I asked her a question and I don't remember what the question was, but I remember her response. And her response to it was, you just never know what people are going through. That was her immediate response. It wasn't like some polished thing. She just spoke from the heart. And I looked at her and I thought, that's exactly what I want to say. That's exactly what I want to feel. And she was, I believe, five years out. And I thought, that's what I want to be right there. I don't feel that right now, but I want to be able to have compassion for whatever someone's going through. And so I began to pray. And so, and try to get my friends and those around me to hold me accountable just because someone on the outside doesn't look like that they're going through something as hard as I am to, to just pull those blinders off and go, you know what? Everybody is facing something and they may not have something as dramatic or as outward as the Landry story, but everybody has adversity and everybody is, no one is given an easy life. And we may not see it. They might not be able to talk about it. And the more that I understood and the more that I prayed about, it, the more I tried to get that mindset through my head, like a whole nother world was open to me because I got to see people that were really hurting and I may have blocked that out before. And I began to get a compassionate heart for people that maybe didn't have the exact same struggle or the exact same background or the exact same issues. But nobody has an easy road in this world. They just don't. And maybe they haven't had something yet, but they're probably going to face something before their days are done. This world isn't fair to anybody. And so I started seeing that. I started thinking about how we can impact people and how we can use Landry's story to touch people. And there are a lot of issues that people go through that they can't talk about publicly. And we have a platform and we have ability to talk about the real emotions that we face and how in the world are we supposed to get through this? What do we rely on and what are we going to do to help everybody else through this? You know, how can we reach other people and encourage and hold everybody else's hands and walk through this together? That'll preach right there, Kristen. (laughs) That's good. We all face some type of adversity. There's no question. It's uh, you don't have to be in a people business or, or be around, um, in our situation, a group of 18 to 20 year olds very often understand that uh, your problems may not be the toughest problems people face on the face of the planet. Um, they're real to you. Everybody's adversity is real and it's a giant to them. And it's, uh, it's tangible. It's, it's what they're facing on a day-to-day battle. But um, I often heard said, you know, early on, and didn't know what it would meant in my life that, you know, if we all threw our problems in a pile, you go in and you pick yours out because that's the one you're most comfortable with. And, and, that's uh, true. And everything else would look so great, so big to you. But um, but that's it. 
everybody is, is struggling through something. Everybody's got adverse they face, and God gives you that grace to fight your battle and to run your race daily. And I think that's um, as well said. All right, so you're the backbone uh, of our family. You're the backbone of everything that happens um, in my career. Uh, what are some things that you've done to contribute to the success of our family and, and the career that uh, we're able to share? I always tell my guests, you know, this is a really hard question to ask and it's hard to answer. And uh, yeah, it's hard to answer. Okay. So probably what I've tried to do is take on the brunt of Landry's physical and medical needs. It's been kind of out of necessity just because I've been kind of set up in that way, but I wasn't actually inclined by uh, to understand those things. Uh, biology was not something I liked or understood at all. That was more, that was something you studied in college. And so it's been something I was very insecure about and nervous about, but just try to tackle it and do, take my journalism side of research and read, 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 you know, just read anything I could find about whatever um, she was facing, uh, whatever symptoms you know, I could help her with or medications or anything. Um, so I just tried to take the brunt of that and learning about insurances and spearheading the lead on, you know, holding the insurance company accountable on what they should cover and, and what the hospitals could charge us and trying to save as much money as possible. So the brunt of Landry's um, needs, I've had um, amazing help with understanding some of that. I have a really good friend who is a surgeon's nurse and she's walked every step of the way with me from a medical side and helping me ask the correct questions to physicians and knowing what um, maybe the next step could be. I think the second thing that I've really tried to do and the thing that's just, I find so much enjoyment and is serving the young men that are entrusted to us. We love doing dinners for the guys um, this past university we were at, we had a Thursday night throwdown, and I absolutely love cooking. I had never cooked for 20 linemen, and 20 linemen is actually 60 people. Yeah. So I catered um, a homemade uh, dinner every Thursday night for 60 and for the past three years. Which was the highlight of their week, <laughs> despite the game on Saturday. <laughs> it was so much fun. Um, it took me like at least three days to cook it. I would cook it in sections. And um, it was just, it was a very neat time. It was a neat time because it was a time our family got to be around these young men. Mm-hmm. Our daughter, Courtney, loved every second of it. And they treated her like a little sister. And a, a great time for them to be around Landry. Pretty intense Uno games. Serious, Serious Uno games. games. They had some some strange O-line rules with that. Um, but I think it that's some things that I enjoy doing. I really love being knee-deep in the serving part of it. Because I just think there's nothing like having someone in your home. And uh, I think it's very, very special. All right, Kristen. So what do you think is the toughest part about being a coach's wife? Sunday afternoons. That's hard. You know, Saturdays, you're busy, you're excited, you're with the game. Everyone is geared up for the game. Monday through Friday, you have school or you have activities. Sunday is supposed to be a family day. Hmm. And traditionally, you're supposed to be together. And for me, that's the loneliest, that's the hardest day of the week. 
we go to church together as a family and then boom, I have all the kids and everything starts over and it's obviously worse after a loss, but I just never, I never knew it could feel that alone. I remember without kids, it was pretty lonely. And then with kids, you can almost feel resentful because you're like, okay, I'm doing this by myself, you know, finding ways to, you know, see you for a few minutes on Sundays um, has been key on Sunday evenings. And, um, but it's definitely one of the tougher parts about it. Um, Obviously relocating around the country, not being able to raise kids around family. um, That can be tough. Um, But I think we talk about that on the show a lot about how to, um, get connected in community and on the staff that you're on. So I think we do cover that a lot. I do think that is probably the toughest thing. It does impact your every single day, but I also think maybe even tougher than all that is that this job is public. And, um, if, you know, someone in my family has a job change that it weren't excited about, uh, nobody knows about it. But I think the hard part about all this is that everything is public. Your joys are public and your losses are public. And so some of that is, is pretty challenging. You are asking these guests some pretty heavy questions. Yeah, no. These are some heavy answers. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm really sorry. All right. So let's, let's lighten it up with one a little bit. All, okay. right, all right. Do you have any traditions after a win and how do you get over a loss? When we get out of there, we're, ex- we're so hungry. And so, to be honest, I would love to say that I've had a home-cooked meal ready for you on Saturdays, but no, I have not lately. I'm probably really exhausted from cooking on Thursdays that I literally, we kind of eat some leftovers on Friday if there is any lately. It hasn't been any um, last school, but um, so, and I did silent reporting the last, the past several years. So, it's been takeout. (laughs) Um, a lot of pizza and it's funny because I interview other wives and a lot of them say they order pizza and don't you know that these uh, people who deliver pizza to all these coaches houses are like hey there's a party over there or wow that is like a funeral I just delivered a pizza to like what is wrong with these people but um, yeah that's pretty much it I try to have some sort of homemade dessert that's a little bit easier but you know sometimes you're just like go get the cookie dough you right go get the cookie dough <laughs> Um, I've learned some things in 17 years. I do change the way I handle things. I try not to ask you after a loss, specifically what happened. The reporter journalism side of me badly wants to know exactly what happened because of course I have my own analysis. Uh, I had to go on TV before and give that analysis in post game and ask those tough questions to coaches. So I really want to ask you those things but I've learned you need your cooling off period. And by maybe Monday, Tuesday, the answers just pop out. I don't even have to answer the question usually. Uh, typically, typically there should be a mandatory waiting cooling off period, just like they have for the kids. A little bit longer than 10 minutes, maybe two days. <laughs> appropriate. So you think our post game interviews for football, we should be able to just, you know, interview on Monday when you have time to think about it. That'd be great. That'd be great for all coaches and coaches wives and entire <laughs> families and just the whole atmosphere around homes in America. Okay, ESPN. We'll do our post game now on Monday. <laughs> Us football coaches, we've been known to have some tough days from time to time. What are some things that you'd remind me of on tough days? I think for us, it goes back to the why. The why we do this supersedes all. I try to remind you of just the reason. 
the reason we've gotten in this profession and the ways in which you've made an impact, you know, that there's a greater purpose that can't always be summed up in a win or a loss. It kind of reminds me of our daughter's story on sometimes when we go through great times, you don't grow as much in those great times. Um, you sometimes you grow in those losses and it's about shaping young men, you know, being there during their toughest hours. Sometimes I felt like you never know why you're sent to an area, why you're sent to a university or um, who you're there to minister to, who you're there to impact. Just try to remind you and remind myself of why we're doing this and we're doing this to impact, hopefully have a positive impact and shape young men. And if we keep that in mind, then we can go through the waves and the tidal waves and the easy waves and the fun days and the sad days. Yeah. Purpose over position. You're really good about reminding me about that. Really, really good. All right, Kristen, who's your coach's wife mentor? Okay. I will say that when I started this podcast, I was thinking, okay, I'm hoping this is an encouragement to other people. And I, I know it hopefully has been, but wow, has this thing been used in a very critical time in my life. I didn't think I needed a mentor, uh, really. I thought, well, I've been 17 years in, and I have a lot of friends that do this, but I didn't think that I needed someone that kind of walked through this. And I have interviewed over the past year some amazing women that I have now called during key moments and said, I need to know your thoughts on this. I need you to pray with me on this. I need... I need some advice on this and have cried to probably some strangers. <laughs> They're probably like, what is wrong with this host? But they've been there for me. And I think that we have to, I've, I've met some of the strongest and wisest women I've ever met. And there's some that I have called right after we've gotten done recording and just, wow, that touched me. And I know it's going to touch a lot of women. So I have a lot of new mentors um, and of course I have some people that have been around um, for a long, long time, but I had some new women that I've met through this. that have been really, really special. What are some things that we try to do to stay connected uh, during the season? Okay. So we really try to have a lunch date. I really enjoy our lunch dates. I think it's really important for us to have a date when we don't have the kids um, and just, you know, whether it be something I pack and come see you for like 20 minutes or if I bring you some takeout, but our salad, lovely salad with some salmon on top, right? From <laughs> Those have been good Monday lunch dates. Yeah, Monday lunch dates. Right in the height of game planning. It's good yeah. to take a little bit on break, go back in there fresh. It really helps me. All right, I already know the answer to this question. I will ask <laughs> it for your, uh, to be fair to all your guests. Do you get any downtime? If not, hypothetically, what would you do if you had some? Okay. I don't get much downtime. Uh, do a lot of editing for the podcast. I do a lot of things for the nonprofit, getting that launched and, and work with that. So I'm grateful for the few minutes I get. And if I were to get, no, there's been a few days that you've been giving me um, kind of like a mama doesn't exist day. Sounds really sad, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the kids aren't allowed to ask me any questions. <laughs> And they're not allowed to need me. And you take them for almost like an entire day or half day. And sadly, that is bliss. Um, it sounds horrible, but you need time to, to get refreshed and get rejuvenated and just, okay. So 
I would walk around Hobby Lobby. You know, I wish I could say, oh, I exercise every day. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> if I could tan every day, that would be nice, but that's not it. To you, what are some of the most rewarding aspects about being a coach's wife? Oh, it's about people. This whole thing's about people. It's not fully about W's. It's not fully about records and breaking them and setting new records and uh, trophies and award shows. It's not about that. It's about impacting people and being a part of something greater than yourself. It's about seeing these young men that are entrusted to us just transform, achieve something that they didn't think was possible and start with, with to me, the biggest thing about that is to start being in this business, being in this profession long enough, not starting out. We've been doing this quite a while. But to see them start putting that into place in other parts of their lives, it's about seeing them give back. Awesome. All right, so this is my favorite part of your podcast you do every week. All right, <laughs> this is the rapid fire questions. Are right, you ready for these questions? Oh, yes. All right, this is where it gets interesting okay. each week. All right, All right. So I'm really excited about this because there's no telling what's going to come out of your mouth. All oh, right, here we go. Okay, ready? all right. Mm -hmm. All right, number one, what's the last book you've read? Paw Patrol, Counting to Ten. <laughs> I surprise you and I walk in the door with concert tickets. What's printed on those tickets? Well, you did that once and it was Luke Bryan. Love the concert. But I surprised you recently and we are going to see Hootie. Hootie doing the blowfish. Pretty excited. Everyone has a few things that might need replacing around the house or maybe in our closet. What's the ugliest thing you own? Okay, something you've um, rubbed off on me about is throwing things away. I think that I had potential to be a pack rat. You're really good about throwing away junk. So we're pretty good about not keeping things. Um, maybe, I think I have a pair of workout shorts that I've had since high school. And I don't know, I just can't part with them. But they're ugly. All right, number four. If you could have dinner with someone other than a family member, current or from history, who would that be? Ooh. All right. This is tough, but I'm going with Abraham Lincoln. I read a book about Abraham Lincoln years ago. He inspires me. He failed so, so many times. And then when he thought it was off or not, I think he had run for elected office. Like, do you remember the number? I don't know. It's like a ton of times. And he didn't get it. And then like two years before he won the national presidential election, he lost a local election. I mean, that's like, that's like not getting a job in a lower level division. And all of a sudden the next day you're named head coach of a power five. Like that, that's exactly what happened to Abraham Lincoln. And I would just want to talk to him and say, you know, you thought it was, you thought it was forgotten. You, you thought it was nothing was going to happen and you were lifted up. And the American people believed in you, but you believed in yourself first. And he did something that no other president in history was able to do before that time. And I want to, I just want to say, hey, where did you get that fearless, relentless spirit? All right. Question number five. I know the answer to this one. You get a night alone. What show would you binge watch? Friends. <laughs> I absolutely love Friends. I Make sure, I started a long time ago, like move number one. I watch a marathon friends, like I watch marathon friends while I pack up our house. And um, this is sad, but it makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. 
it's pretty sad. And it's pretty sad, but I do it every single time. So it's just like, ah, yeah, I'll be there for you. So that's a lot of binge watching. I'm just gonna let you. Know. <laughs> All right, so number six. You lock your keys in your car, and you know your husband's at practice. Who is the first person you'd call? Okay, Jolly. That's my mom. I call her every day, all day, and I won't change it. Yeah, I can hear that. Number seven. Hey, but wait, you know what? She lives eight hours from me, and she couldn't actually unlock my car. But it'd be like, you won't believe what I have done. So typical me. That's why I would call her. So she could laugh. Number seven. If your husband wasn't a coach, what would he be? This, this would be interesting. <laughs> hey. What do you think about this? I think you would be a very dynamic preacher. <laughs> oh, I, I could see you. Okay. Uh, what is the preacher from Charlotte? What is his name? Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick. I like watching me some Stephen Furtick. I could see you, you know. I think you have to be called to be a preacher. Okay. It could, um, like if you had an off day. If you had an off day, you just fill in. Where you could fill in. I'll fill in. Fill okay. in preaching. <laughs> All right. What sport can you beat me in? Ping pong. I agree on that. Uh-huh. 100%. Backhand. All day. That probably kept me coming around early on in your parents' garage because I just wanted to beat you in ping pong and I went over. That's yeah. right. Yeah. My mom taught me how to beat men in ping pong. Uh, well, can you give up the secret? No, 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 no. Okay. You can right. DM me for that, ladies, if you need that. Number nine, final question. If your family had a theme song, what would it be? Okay, so we get attached to songs that kind of help us through hard times. And so we've had a few here recently. I don't know if it, it takes 17 years in, but more recently, I like to win. Um, Elevation Worship had one, Do It Again. Very powerful song. And right now, I'm into, I mentioned it earlier, Raise a Hallelujah. And it's by Bethel Music. You got to check it out. All right. This has been fun. It has been fun. I think we made it. We, we did okay. We, we made it. Yeah. Opposite sides of the microphone. Yeah. I don't like this part. I, I just, I want to be, I'd be on the other side. Well, I think it's important that your guests uh, that you had on and, and all of your listeners know the heart behind what you're trying to do with Coach's Wife Life. I think that um, it's unbelievable how you're connecting the community. I think it's it's unbelievable the responses that you've been sharing with me and some of the, the feedback that you've gotten has been unbelievably positive. And 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 just for anybody listening, I know there's a there's a large fan base and and uh, from coast to coast really um, that really chooses to to listen to this podcast that, that Kristen's got going. It's it's a great vision she's got for what's um, she's doing and and trying to connect coaches' wives. Um, all over the country and, and even globally um, with, with even pulling in, you know, coaches from Canada. And it's been a special experience for me. I am so grateful for all of you that have faithfully listened. It sometimes blows my mind. I'll log in and look at it by Monday um, by noon and just to see the people that are listening. It's just, it's humbling and I'm just grateful and thank you for, you know, giving me your time um, to talk to these women, to be encouraged, to listen, to like us, to share, to subscribe. It's just, it's very, um, it means the world. I think it's been phenomenal. I think that um, anyone out there listening that would, would love to help support Kristen 
and um, any corporation or business. I know Kristen's looking for advertising with Coach's Lifeline with this podcast to help with some of the operational costs and of what she's getting. She's putting a lot of man hours in this and, and, and looking at it as a ministry, but um, she would love for advertising to come along and in some way of, of funding this podcast. Also before mentioned was Ruler of Hope. Uh, you can find out more information on rulerofhope.org. It's a nonprofit 501 uh, C3. All donations are tax deductible. You can give online there at rulerofhope.org. Uh, just click on the donate icon. I, I think that Kristen's vision of, of using this podcast to help us bring more awareness and, and help make rare disease more rare for all children, I think is is unbelievable. And, and that's kind of our heart with the Ruler of Hope. And so come alongside us, help us with Ruler of Hope, help Kristen with Coach's Wife Life. Um, continue to be the great support that you are for her and, and, and reaching out with the great comments and feedback that you give her each week. Uh, this has been an unbelievable experience. Next week, though, uh, you'll get uh, Kristen back where she's comfortable <laughs> in the host seat. And uh, she'll keep carrying on some unbelievable guests. The guests that she has lined up for this fall are going to be outstanding. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Thank you for being so faithful to listen and support Kristen on Coach's Wife. Make sure to subscribe to the Coach's Wife Live podcast. And for a replay of this episode or previous episodes, visit coacheswifelife.org and follow us on social media at Coach's Wife Life.